following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Okay, well, good morning. Um, we want to welcome you again to our Sunday worship. And um, I know last week uh, Pastor Steve said that we would be concluding our, our mini-series on the Lord's Prayer, but I actually felt compelled to extend it for one more week and uh, preach on practicing the Lord's Prayer, practicing the Lord's Prayer, uh, because I, I think it would be a tragedy if we went through this entire series and gained a deeper understanding of the Lord's Prayer, but did not walk away with a daily practice of praying the Lord's Prayer, which is really the reason why Jesus teaches his followers this prayer. Not that they would know how to pray, but that they would actually pray right, because of it regularly. And so this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to do a whole lot of exposition on the Lord's Prayer, as that has already been done very capably for you this past month. But I want to largely share my own personal journey through this prayer in recent months and hopefully show you how this prayer can attune us to the will of God, the heart of God, and also empower us in God's greater mission for this world. And I want to start off uh, by playing a music video of a secular song by the Black Eyed Peas called Where Is the Love? Hands, anyone know this song? Heard this song? Okay. Um, This was a song released back in 2003. It's almost 20 years old. And it really put this group on the map. It was like their first big hit. They would go on to win six Grammy Awards and sell over 80 million albums. And I like this song because if you listen to it, the cry within this song reminds me so much of the Psalms of David. And although the song is, you know, almost two decades old, the message, I think, is still so very relevant today, even prophetic in some ways. And so let's, uh, let's play the video. So um, it's a good song, right? Should we, should we sing it for the closing worship set? <laughs> um, well, if you notice the structure of this song, with each verse we hear, you know, the painful observations of, of living in a broken world whether it's violence, child abuse, terrorism, racism, war. And then the chorus pivots into a prayer, actually, doesn't it? It says, people killing, people dying, children hurting, I hear them crying. Could you practice what you preach? Would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people got me, got me questioning. Where is the love? Where is the love? Now, in the video, I wanted to show the video because the group uh, is broadcasting this song through a loudspeaker on top of their van, right? And you realize this is not just a song. This is actually an anthem. And they're trying to start a movement. And they want to get their message out. And they even have a symbol that they use, right? This, this red question mark that's marked inside of a square. And they plaster it all over the city. And this, this symbol represents not only their search for love, but their call to love for us to live in peace and in harmony and love one another, right? You know, this song has so many Christian overtones, uh, even pulling literally from the Sermon on the Mount, right? Turn the other cheek. That one of the group members, Taboo, is his name, years ago he was asked about this group, the group's faith and if they pray regularly, and he said this. He said, we pray before we go on stage, But we don't say, like, our Father, which art in heaven. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. 
Because around the world, there are so many different beliefs. And who's to say that those beliefs are wrong? I tap into spirituality, spirit, I tap into spirituality in the moment that I'm performing. Whatever God is, that's what I was put on earth to do. For that minute that I'm up there, it's an energy back and forth. They're responding to that energy, and now I'm responding to them. Now, I know I'm spending a lot of time dissecting a secular song here, but it's a bit strange to see taboo, a quote from Taboo, right, up on a, a Sunday sermon. But I believe this song actually has a lot of overlap with the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus also started a movement. And Jesus also had a mission when he came to earth. And if Jesus had a song that represented his heart and an anthem that reflected his call for all of us as his followers, it would have to be the Sermon on the Mount. Those would be the lyrics. And the Lord's Prayer, I think, would be the chorus of that song. But Jesus' song is not filled with questions. Rather, it's filled with answers on what true love really looks like. And when I hear this song, I want to grab the black-eyed peas, and I want to tell them, this is the answer to all the questions you're asking. You're so close. You're even quoting the guy. His name's Jesus. Look at what he taught. Look at how he lived. Look at how he died. And when I hear them singing, Father, Father, help us. Send some guidance from above. I want to tell Taboo. I want to tell Fergie. I want to tell Will I Am. Your heavenly Father has sent help. He's given us the Holy Spirit, our helper. And you want guidance from above? God has given us guidance from above on how to navigate this utterly broken world. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. So... The Black Eyed Peas, I think, can stop singing these questions because the answers are all found in Matthew 6. So let's pray this prayer one last time together. I'm going to read from verse 7, and then if you can join me in the prayer. Verse 7 says this, And when you pray, Jesus says, When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Before you ask him, this then is how you should pray. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find it very freeing to know that God actually prefers that we not pray long prayers. He makes it clear that he doesn't want our needlessly wordy, our verbose petitions. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want our habits. He wants our sincerity, not our sanctimony. He wants a broken and a contrite heart, a broken spirit. And the Lord's Prayer, as short as it is, is designed to help us when our minds wander in prayer, as Pastor Steve shared last week. And it was given us to us to keep us in tune with the heart and the mind of God and to daily redirect us to God's movement and God's mission. You know, as was mentioned last week, the Jewish tradition was to pray several times a day, actually, morning, afternoon, and evening, and to recite often these short prayers and I believe when Jesus was teaching them this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he was asking people to interject this prayer into that very rhythm, right? Multiple times a day, not just even once a day. 
And I think, as we said, the danger of a frequent rhythm like this is that it can become meaningless words, right? It can become a religious ritual if we're not purposeful and if we're not present when we pray it. But the wisdom of this rhythm is also when we practice it in this rhythm, this prayer can actually do what God intended it for to do in the exact moments that we need it throughout the day. And so the past couple of months, you know, I've been trying to pray this prayer personally multiple times a day. And sometimes I'm even awakened in the middle of the night, and I will pray this prayer over and over. And I'll just break it down line by line and just ask the Lord to speak to me through this prayer. And as I meditate upon it and I seek to hear God's voice in it, I've been struck by just how God has ministered to and through me as I've regularly practiced this prayer over the last few months. And I'm not saying that this is the only way to pray this prayer, but I want to share it as one way to incorporate this prayer into your life. Now, some of the lines of the prayer can be hard to understand, uh, but I believe when Jesus teaches us to pray in this way, um, you will find that he actually expounds on many of these lines within the same sermon, which actually gives us a richer understanding of what it is that we are actually praying and, and what is God's heart behind it. So this is what we're going to do today rather quickly. I'm going to share a brief excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe addresses a line within the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to share some thoughts on it, and then I'm going to ask us to just pause and practice praying each line of the Lord's Prayer together. And during these brief pauses in prayer, you know, our gifted cellist, Josh Stewart, is going to play some background music for us. And so um, I just want us to really take advantage of that time. Okay, it's not going to be very long, but just let the Lord speak to you as, you, as we pray this prayer together. So beginning with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, Jesus encourages us to refer to God in our regular prayer as our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father. And as Pastor Lester preached a month ago, this was, this was a revolutionary idea, right? Especially in Jesus' day. And Jesus expands on this after he teaches the prayer later in his sermon when he says this in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. He says, ask and it will be given you, to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, this is the very heart of God. And, and Jesus is showing us what the heart of the Heavenly Father is really like. That we have a Father in, he Father in Heaven who loves us and is for us. Um, you know, I was on Facebook earlier this week, and I came across an old post that reminded me of our Father's love for us. Uh, when my daughter, Selah, was six years old, she was obsessed with getting a pet hamster. Okay, and so every day she would ask, can I get a hamster? Can I get a hamster? And one day when I was at work, she emailed me. And I, I, I'm going to read this post for you because I actually posted this on Facebook like seven years ago. And she wrote this. She said, Dear Daddy, this is Selah. I really want a hamster because it will teach me to be responsible and I will help pay. I will feed it every day and take care of its cage. If I need help with the cage, then Timothy will help me. Or maybe you can because you are strong. Mommy doesn't like to touch the hamster, but she says if I do, if I do it all and you are okay with it, I don't know, she didn't finish her thought there, <laughs> I think you're going to say no, but I want it. <laughs> See you soon, love, Salem. 
so this is her at the age of six. How do you say no to that, right? <laughs> and so I made the mistake of asking her, did you pray about this? And she wrote, yes, I did, Batty. I prayed about the hamster, and I pray that you would say yes. <laughs> so, geez, so, I mean, that's really good, right? What could I do? So apparently children do not just ask their fathers for bread and fish, but also hamsters and puppies. So I got her a hamster for Christmas that year, and within a couple days, that dirty little rodent bit her when she was holding him. Or Yeah, and she, she no longer wanted a hamster. <laughs> she was like, flush it down the toilet. <laughs> and, you know, God tells us, think about how much you love your children, and you want to give them good gifts, even mediocre gifts like hairy little rodents. And, you know, he says, my love is exponentially greater than this. So come to me. Ask me. Seek me. Knowing that I love you as my child even more than your father on earth loves you. See me as your perfect father in heaven. Come with that kind of confidence. You know, Tim Keller, he says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. It's so true. It's so profound. So I just want to take a minute and invite you to come to God now in prayer with the confidence of a child, praying that his name would be hallowed, meaning that his reputation would be honored and his name would be glorified among all peoples and worshipped for who he is. Let's ask God to grant us the faith to see him as a loving father who longs to give us good things, but also an awesome and holy God who is powerful, sovereign over all his creation, worthy of our worship. So let's do that. Let's just take a minute or two in the quietness of our hearts and in this room. Just bow our heads, close our eyes. Josh is going to play something for us, and then we're going to move on to the next line, okay? Let's move on to the next line. Thank you, Josh. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I, I preached on this line in the prayer. And um, we talked about how God has revealed his will to us. And his will is actually quite simple. It is that we love him and that we love one another. And while this is a simple command, it's not an easy command, is it? Which is why I believe Jesus asks us to pray this regularly. To pray that his will would be done. Not our will. His will. But notice how 
through this prayer, Jesus frames our submission to his will within the bigger picture of God's kingdom and mission for this world. And this is a big deal because what Jesus is saying is that when we come under his yoke and when we surrender our will to his will by loving God and loving one another, we are actually doing something great. As Jesus did in his life and ministry, we are ushering in the kingdom of God. And God is using us to bring pockets of heaven, that is his power and his presence, in all the spaces that we occupy on earth, that is our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our church. And I know some of you may be wondering, well, how do you see a command to love in a prayer about his will? Well, let me bring us back to the most central prayer of the Jewish people, the Shema. It was a call and a prayer to love God, wasn't it? It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That was the prayer of the people, the Jewish people. And to this day, they pray this short prayer multiple times daily. And this is not only the greatest command, but it's also the most common prayer. And Jesus knew this. And when someone asks him, which is the greatest command, Jesus affirms this. But notice that Jesus expands upon this prayer by taking it one step further. A step that many in his day, and even today, we don't want to take it that one step further. When he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it is the will of God that we not only love him, but that we love others. Um, about a month ago, I was running you know, an errand during lunchtime, during the uh, weekday, and I was working here, and I kind of ran off to the Apple store. And, and I found myself driving by um, near our old town home in Palatine, and uh, you know, I haven't lived there for like eight years. But um, on my way back to the church office, I, I just felt this urge to just kind of stop by our old place and just spend a little time in prayer there and just remember, you know, kind of the days when I was a younger parent and when our children were being raised there. And, you know, when I got there, I found an older gentleman spray-painting kitchen chairs on his driveway and in front of our old home. And um, we got to talking, and, and I told him, you know, I, I used to live here, and I raised three of my children for a good part of their childhood in, in this townhome. And, and we had a really nice conversation, you know. And, and then I asked him about our neighbor who lived next door, and I'm going to call her Cindy. It's not her real name. And, and I asked, you know, does she still live here? And he says, yeah, she still lives there. In fact, she just drove in a few minutes ago, so I know she's home. And so, I, you know, I felt compelled in that moment to just go over there and to say hi to her because I actually remembered uh, about two years ago, uh, we got an email uh, from Cindy's daughter that her, her dad had passed away pretty suddenly of a heart attack in their home. And, uh, you know, he was a retired police officer, and, uh, you know, my heart just went out to that. I know we sent condolences via email, but um, I just wanted to, to say hi and, and just to offer my condolences in person. And I remember ringing the doorbell for at least five minutes. And, you know, if I didn't know she was home, I would have just left. But there was a part of me that just wanted to get back to work. I had so much to do that day. But I kept trying, and then finally she answers the door, and she's on the phone. And she's like, hi, what do you want? <laughs> I was like, do you remember me? She's like, yeah, you're Peter. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I just wanted to stop by. I was in the neighborhood, and um, 
you know, I remember what happened to your husband, uh, and I heard he passed away, and so I just wanted to offer my condolences. And you know, her, her disposition just kind of changed in that moment. And she, she said, you want to come in and, you know, for a few minutes? And I said, it's okay, you know, if you're busy. And she's like, no, come in. And so I ended up spending about 30 minutes in her home, just sitting in her living room, just catching up with her. And, you know, as I was asking her about her husband and what had happened and also catching up on our kids and, and her grandkids, um, you know, I could tell every time we talked about her husband, it, she was, it was hard for her. It was hard for her to share. And she was still processing her grief even two years later. And, um, you know, I just said, you know, Cindy, is it okay if I, I just pray for you? And she said, you know, I would love that. And um, so just there in her home, I, I just I prayed for her. And, um, you know, when I was done, she just had tears in her eyes, and she just said, I'm so thankful that you um, stopped by today. And, um, you know, I got back in my car, and I just sensed, I just sensed that the Lord um, was pleased because I took a little bit of time to serve a widow in need and that was hurting. And I was able to bring a little bit of heaven, um, God's peace and God's presence into her home that day. And I'm not saying this to brag. I, honestly, this is like the first time I've ever done something like this. But I really think that as I'm praying this prayer, even in those moments, that, that it led me to that place. And, you know, God's will is not only that we love him this way, vertically, but that we love him horizontally in the way that we love others and express his love to others. And when we do this, we are submitting to his will. We are bringing his kingdom near. We are bringing pockets of heaven to earth. So I want to invite us again just to have one minute in prayer and um, just to reflect upon all the ways right now in your heart of hearts, if we could just close our eyes and just consider where our will is at odds with God's will, where our desires and our agenda trumps his call for us to love not just him, but to love one another. And let's bring that before the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice at this point is how the prayer now shifts uh, from a focus on God, you know, your name, your kingdom, your will, to now us, right? our daily bread, our debts, our temptations. And that word is important, our. And that is actually how the prayer opens, doesn't it? Our Father in heaven. And it says, give us today our daily bread. And I think, you know, often we take this prayer and we make it all about us, meaning me as an individual, my needs, my debts, my temptations. 
And we Americanize this prayer. You know, and I don't think that that was God's intention at all in this prayer. We open this prayer with our Father because we are all his children, brothers and sisters, beautifully made in his image. And we are to not just pray for my personal needs, but to pray for our needs. And you remember, you remember, this prayer wasn't taught in the midst of a large crowd. And I believe we are to understand it within the context of community, not just individually. And how many of us actually pray for daily bread? Do any of us in this room really struggle to put food on the table or worry about where our next meal is going to come from? I think hardly any of us here do. But if you think about prayer in the, this prayer in the broader sense of community, there, there are those real needs everywhere around us. And not just the need for food, but all kinds of needs. And Jesus' instruction to us here is to ask God to meet those needs. Not just my needs, but our needs. And if you recall, Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, Jesus is not only speaking about loving our enemies here, is he? He's describing people we encounter daily who are in need. In need of our shirt. In need of our physical help. In need of money to borrow. And he is calling us to a radical form of generosity that not only forgives those who harms you, but also literally gives the shirt and the coat off your back that will carry a burden an extra mile, that will lend money without expecting to be repaid. And that is the way of the kingdom. See, God's provision would not just come like manna from the sky, but from the day-to-day, real-life generosity of those who profess to follow him. And this is exactly what we see in the early church. In Acts 4, 32-35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all, that there, there were, all of them that were there were no needy persons among them. For, t- for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, I'm not saying that we should all sell everything that we have, pool our money together, and share everything, okay? It's actually not a bad. I think I would actually personally like that. <laughs> but I am saying that the believers in the early church, they witnessed a glimpse of the kingdom because of this radical generosity that they had with one another. And I believe Christ calls us to that same kind of spirit, the same kind of care and concern for others. And when he tells us to pray, give us today our daily bread, this prayer is not just about me and my needs, is it? It's about us and ours. And anyone God brings into our lives that is in need. You know, last night I was prepping for the sermon and we had the um, North Korea refugee concert last night. And um, got to hear a testimony from one of the uh, refugees, this very young lady um, who had just really incredible faith. And she was just sharing how she prayed and prayed and prayed that God would uh, allow her to escape, you know, this 
this communist and this poverty-stricken country. And God answered that prayer. And towards the end of her testimony, she was just sharing, I just have, you know, one prayer request. You know, my father and my brother are still there. Can you pray for them? And I was struck by, you know, this, this prayer request. It's like right here in our midst, we have someone that's praying a very profound prayer and has a real need. And, um, you know, we have a food pantry where about 40, 40 families come monthly because they, they can't put food on their table. And if you haven't taken part in that, you really should. It's an amazing ministry. And we have a ministry for young single moms in this very building, as we heard today, Kindred Life. And, uh, you know, I really think these single and teen moms, are, they are the widows of our generation. And you know God's heart for the widow. And even last night as I was prepping this sermon, Miss Abella, one of our, uh, the few widows in our congregation, she was messaging me because she didn't have a ride home from church, after church. I still don't know if she needs a ride home after church, but if anyone wants to give her a ride home after church, God bless you. <laughs> and we have a number of things that are going to be coming up over the next few weeks. We're going to be announcing a coat drive and a sheep project for Kenyans and a giving tree for local schools in the area to purchase presents for children that are living in poverty. And so it, it, it's here. This prayer is real, not just for me, but for us. And so let us not only pray that God would provide for our needs, but let this prayer move us to be God's provision for anyone God brings into our life who is in need. And so let's, let's take a moment and let's pray. Forgive us our debts as we have also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 5, 7, the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in Matthew 6, he says, um, right after the prayer, he says, teaches in the prayer, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now, I want to be clear here. You know, the wording can be a little bit confusing. That God's mercy and forgiveness is not conditional, just as his love is unconditional. But Jesus makes it clear, if we truly understand our sins, if we truly understand our indebtedness to God, we will forgive others. If we know and have experienced the amazing love and mercy and grace demonstrated to us by God through Christ, then we will be a people who show mercy. We will be forgiven forgivers. We will be reconciled reconcilers. And there's an order to this. It must begin first with the regular reminder of our need for God's forgiveness. You know, it's, um, it's strange. As I've been praying this prayer, some crazy things have been happening. And not just for me, but also for my wife, Kim. And, you know, this is really her story. It's not my story. And so I'm, I'm not going to get into the details here. But um, there's a person that deeply wounded uh, my wife many years ago. And recently, uh, this, this person re-entered her life, and she had an opportunity to meet or actually even avoid this person. 
And, um, you know, I have to say, I'm so proud of my wife because she was able to forgive this person um, actually years ago. But even now, when they met recently, she was so eager to share the gospel, and they had a great conversation. And, you know, um, i got to say, on the other hand, I I struggled (laughs) with this more than Kim did. And I wasn't even the one who was directly hurt, but I knew how much this person had hurt her and the anxiety that it stirred within her, even to, to see this person again. And, and, um, and I was convicted by how I need to forgive, as I have been forgiven. And, you know, there's a reason why Jesus says that we are to ask God to forgive us for our debts before he basically assumes that we have forgiven those who are indebted to us. That's the order. We must remember that we've been forgiven, and we must remember that as sinners, we still fall short daily and are in need of God's mercy. Only then can we forgive others and show mercy. So let's do that. Let's take a minute, and then, um, instead of focusing on all the ways that others have hurt us and asking for God to avenge us, let's reflect upon all the ways in which we are in need of God's forgiveness and ask him for the power to forgive those that have wronged us. Let's just take a minute and and pray then. I want to close this last line of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want to close with communion. And so if you have the elements, if you can um, get them ready, and we'll take them together in a moment. Um, You know, I I know this particular line in the Lord's Prayer can be confusing because the Bible does say that God would never tempt anyone or cause us to sin. So why does Jesus ask us to pray in this way? You know, I think first we must recognize that our struggle to obey God and walk in his will is very much a spiritual one. It's not against flesh and blood and what we can see, but it's against principalities and powers that we cannot see. And so we need prayer. We need the Lord's help to to walk in faith. But I also believe Jesus tells us to pray in this way to remind us that he has gone before us and he has been tempted in every way just as we are tempted and even more so so that we might turn to him in our time of need. How do I know this? Well, if you notice Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, this, the chapter immediately preceding the Sermon on the Mount It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness 
to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is the only time in Scripture that I'm aware of where someone is explicitly led by God to be tempted by the devil. And it's not a man, it's not a woman, it's the Son of God who was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness before he begins his ministry. Now, here's what is crazy. If you compare this verse with the last line of the Lord's Prayer, just two chapters later, it says this, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it's almost the exact same wording, isn't it? Do you see what's going on here? You know, I believe we are instructed to ask for God's deliverance apart from being led by God into temptation because Jesus has already accomplished that for us. Jesus endured 40 hellish days of temptation from the evil one in the wilderness so that we could find entrance back into the garden, restored into fellowship with God again. And it is only through him that we can overcome the penalty and the power of sin. And I believe this is why in the upper room, Jesus would go on to instruct his disciples to pray in his name. And this is why we close our prayers in Jesus' name, even today. Because it is by the power of his name that our prayers are answered. It is by the power of his name that sin is overcome. It's by the power of his name that we are set free. Free from the bondage of sin and free to love others as God loves us. So going back to the original song I started at this, this sermon, you know, where is the love? You know, it, it's right here. It's, it's, it's at the Lord's table. It's in this place. This is where we find the answer to that question. Here is where we experience the greatest love this world has ever known. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And it is by the power of his blood, by the provision of his broken body, that we can experience union with God together. Which is why we call this communion. Here we experience union with Christ within the community of faith. So let's take the elements together. And as, after we do so, let's take a moment and let us acknowledge our need for Christ. Let's fix our eyes on him and not ourselves. And when we are tempted, let us claim his power and his authority over sin.